Mental toughness has gotten a lot of attention in recent years, thanks in great part to folks that that's become their shtick. Get up at 4 a.m. no matter what. Bite your lower lip and keep going. You're hurt? Doesn't matter. Keep running. That's what mentally tough people do. Okay, I get it. It sells. It looks good in video. You get a million followers. Awesome. Congratulations. But what about for the general population? What about that student who's preparing for finals week? What, what about that single parent who's trying to work two jobs and be a good parent in the process? What about that professional who's trying to be a better leader in the midst of all the stress? What about that athlete that's towing the line and needs to bring just that little extra to the table? Outside of the dramatic videos and statements that are thrown about like they're ear candy, are there real tools that we can utilize, real approaches that we can implement into our lives that can truly make a difference on the mental side? Yes. This is Dr. Brad Cooper, and most of the time I'm interviewing a number of just incredible researchers and athletes and authors. This week I'm going to cave into requests. I had given a presentation at an international sports psychology conference and had several coaches approach us and say, could you make it available? And so we looked at the calendar and said, let's pop it in here in the end of November and, and that'll that'll give folks something going into the new year as they start thinking about their goals and how they're going to approach things, maybe gives them an extra tool moving forward. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to do a basically an overview, hit the highlights of that presentation, try to give you some specific practical tools that you can utilize in your life, whether that's personal pursuits, athletic pursuits, professional pursuits. And just in terms of background, this was my PhD dissertation. This is what I worked on for all those years. And our concept centered on this idea of functional mental toughness, or we called it little f, big M, big T. So FMT, you'll hear me refer to that regularly, but I'm going to walk you through how that model works if you're watching the video version of this, you can see that up on the screen. We'll, we'll provide a link so you can access that really easily. And that'll give you some, we hope, some extra really practical tools beyond just bite your lip and keep going as you get ready to move forward. Now, on the coaching side, speaking of the coaches that requested this, if you are considering pursuing your certification as a health and wellness coach, we do have a training, catalystcoachinginstitute.com. We have a training coming up in January. You can start that early if you're listening to this in November. And if you missed it, if you're listening to this later on in the year, we do four programs a year. So you can access that at any point. If you're thinking, well, that's interesting. I've, I've not heard of this before. Or, wow, I could add that to my toolbox as a physical therapist or a physician or a nurse or counselor or whatever it might be. Or you're thinking, I, I think I'd like to pursue a, a career in that. E either way, reach out to us. We're happy to take some time to talk it through and figure out, does this really make sense for you at this point? And is this the best route? Email results at catalystcoaching360.com. That's results at catalystcoaching360.com. And then one last thing, if you're an employer, an EAP, a wellness provider, and you'd like to integrate coaching into the services you're providing and have that include health and wellness coaching, but also high performance coaching, it might be worth us chatting. That's what Catalyst Coaching 360 provides. So reach out to us, check out the website, catalystcoaching360.com or that same email results at catalystcoaching360.com. So with that, let's jump in. This concept of functional mental toughness, where do we go with that? How can we integrate elements of this into our, our daily lives, regardless of what we're pursuing. Now, as I referenced, and I won't pull any names, but you know some of the folks I'm talking about here, there are many podcasters, video stars that love talking about mental toughness and how amazing it is as long as you just, you know, gut it out and, and move forward. And, and, and again, good for them. They've, fought, they've garnered far more followers than I have. So they've done well. Congratulations. What I want to try to do is say, okay, cool. That works for you. You're in the 0.0001% of the population. And you might have some other things going on between the ears. What can we do on a practical level? What can anyone do? Regardless of your situation, setting, background, history, tools, resources, support, et cetera, et cetera, to to build in that mental piece beyond the simply charismatic, dramatic YouTube videos and books, some, some things that the rest of us can do that are 
practical, functional, and applicable to anything that we're wanting to do in life. Now, the first thing I want to do is set the stage around three words that are, well, they're, 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 kind, of, they're kind of intermixed. And researchers that study this specifically, we could have a very long conversation about this, but I want to create a baseline that you can have in your mind. Easy way to remember the difference between resilience, mental toughness, and grit. Again, those are three terms that are, are often intermixed. In general, they, there is some overlap there, but I want to give you an easy way to remember how to differentiate the three as you're talking about them in everyday life. So resilience, that's the past. You are raised in a very abusive situation. No one wants that for anybody. But if you come through that, you then bring that resilience, there's your resilience, into your present. If you go through a difficult divorce, or you work for a terrible boss, or you fight through some, some tough health struggles, you wouldn't wish that on anyone. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But if you're able to come through that, that is resilience that you bring into the present. But a coach doesn't go to you and say, okay, so I want you to go home and I want you to go through a divorce and make it as awful as possible so that you can really bring some resilience into what you're doing. To, like, no, we don't do that. You don't do that. You would never, you would never want that. So resilience, it, it, it's our past that we bring into our present. It's not something we train. And again, I know I can get an argument from those of you who specialize in resilience. That is the definition historically that, that holds up. And that's what we're going to define it as today. Grit, on the other hand, if you've read Angela Duckworth's wonderful book by the same title, that's the future. That's the holding long-term commitment moving forward regardless. So that's grit. That's future. So we have resilience, the past that you bring into the present. We have grit, which is your future moving forward toward the, the goals, the targets you've set. And then that leaves us with now. And I'm using quote marks around now because it's really the six, eight, 12 weeks prior into the present. And that's where this concept we're going to focus on today of functional mental toughness sits. So again, plenty of overlap. Resilience is past. Functional mental toughness is present. Grit is future. Now, the model that you see on the screen, if you are watching the video, and if not, we've used this as our cover for this podcast, so you can glance back at the thumbnail for that. It has the FMT model. And one of the, this is what our research basically came together to help create was this model. And one of the things I love about it is it's so straightforward. Once you've seen it, once you hear me talk it through, you'll be able to remember it. You'll be able to draw on it. You'll be able to say, oh yeah, there, I, can, I can do that. I can pull in this. I can lean on that. So in the middle, you see a bank with the big FMT across the roof. Your functional mental toughness can be thought of very much like your, your bank account. You really have three priorities when it comes to your bank account. You want to fill it up, get as much in there as you can. You want to limit the leakage. So you don't want to get your bank statement at the end of the month and find out you had a $2 charge because you used an ATM somewhere. You know, so just something, it didn't help you at all. It, it, it was just, it was just lost money. You didn't know it was coming. It just got spent on something that had no additional value to your life. So you want to limit that leakage. And then when you need that money, so if your refrigerator breaks down, if you need new tires on your car, all of a sudden, you can access that money. Doesn't mean you good to have all this money over there if you can't get to it in, in that kind of situation. Your functional mental toughness bank is the, is the same concept. Those three things. We want to fill it up as much as we can. We want to limit the leakage. Don't, let's just not waste our functional mental toughness bank on things that we don't need to spend it on. Hopefully as you're listening to this, you're not thinking, oh, I really have to dig into my mental bank account, mental toughness bank account to listen to Brad here. This is, this is, this is really a struggle. Hopefully you're just listening. Making notes, jotting a few ideas down, maybe you got your journal near you. So there are times we use our mental toughness 
but most of life we do not. And some people never use it, frankly. So same as your bank account. You want to fill it up. You want to limit the leakage. Don't spend it on things that you don't need it for. And we'll get into an example of that. And then when you need it, when it's go time, when you step up to that podium to make the speech, when you sit down in that chair to take that final exam, when you step into the room and how to have that tough conversation with somebody, then we want to be able to access it. So that's the middle section, that FMT bank. We want to fill it up, limit the leakage, and when it's time, be able to access it. Now the three, the, we call it the FMT trilogy, the three pieces of that trilogy are thrive, prepare, and activate. So we're going to walk through each one of those. We're going to give you some examples for each one. But I, I want you to think about, before we jump into that, I want you to think about your life for a moment. Think about an area that you feel like, yeah, I, I could use some more mental toughness in this specific area. I've given you examples. I won't repeat those. But think about in your life. Because then as we go through it, you'll be able to bring that to life. You'll be able to think through, oh, yeah, I, I, I could do that piece. I could implement that. Oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... I'm going to bring that into my regular habits so that fill in the blank. So, so think about your life. As you're doing that, let me clarify something about mental toughness because I think this gets mixed a lot, missed a lot. And I think it really gets missed in those dramatic, charismatic filled videos and books and that kind of stuff that talk about this, but don't really give you tools to do it besides just get it done. And that is, Mental toughness or functional mental toughness, FMT, it's the icing on the cake. It's not the cake. <laughs> I mean, I hear this all the time, but if you're a student, you don't come to me and say, well, I didn't study for the test, so what can I do to, to pass this thing? You know, what FMT strategy? Buddy, the cake is the studying. You know, you, you got a half marathon you're doing and you, you know, it's the day before, Oh, Brad, what can I do to help? I didn't really do the training. I didn't really put in my base work. Partner, you're in trouble. <laughs> the, the FMT, the functional mental toughness, is the icing on the cake. It ain't the cake. So bake the cake, put in the work, prepare, one of our terms, and then add that functional mental toughness. Add that icing, which will allow you to get a little bit more out of that cake. That cake's going to taste a little better with the icing. You can do a little better in that exam. You're going to do a little better in that athletic pursuit. You're going to do a little better in your professional pursuits. It's the icing on the cake, but it's not the cake. We can't skip that part and then think that by digging deep, we're going to make up for everything. Similarly, exclamation points. Anybody who knows me, you know I love exclamation points, but they don't generally stand alone. They, they need something to go with. So we talk about be a catalyst and we put an exclamation point on the end. Boom. Yeah, let's be a catalyst. But you need the sentence to put it on. The, the exclamation point is not the sentence. The functional mental toughness is not the sentence. We need the sentence and then boom, we can add that extra to give us some more emphasis. All right. So let me give you our definition of functional mental toughness. This is from 2019, a study that we, we had published and it breaks it down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of take word by word here. I'll give it all to you, and then I'll, I'll break it down so that it makes sense, and you can see some of the differentiators in this from maybe things you've heard before, maybe things you've looked at before, maybe things you've read before, and helping to break that down, the difference between those. So here's the definition. A variable and malleable psychological catalyst available to enhance an individual's desired outcome beyond Recent baseline performance or behavior. Okay, there's a lot there. So let, let's, let's peel this out a little bit. And I think, I think it'll really come to life for you as we do this. First of all, it's, it's variable and it's malleable. Your functional mental toughness varies. It's going to change from time to time. What got me into pursuing this as my PhD is I had this opportunity to do three crazy things in a six-month period one, do the Race Across America bike race, a 3,000-mile bike race with Jerry Schemmel, my partner, from basically west coast of the United States to east coast. We finished in a little over seven days, and my mental toughness was all over. There were times it was good. 
And there were times it was terrible. And then a couple months later, qualifying for the Hawaii Ironman World Championship. Uh, those of you who know triathlon, you know that's a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and then a 26.2-mile marathon. And you've, you've got to finish, depending on your age group, there's a lot of variables, but you've got to finish in the top one, two, three out of you know 150, 200 people to get that qualification. And then the third one was to run a sub-three-hour marathon, uh, and I was 49 years old at the time. So again, in all three of those pursuits, I was up and down. And our research brought out, that wasn't a bad thing. That's just a thing. So FMT is variable and fortunately, it's malleable. So we can do things to boost it and we can do things to harm it. And in many ways, not 100%, but in many ways, it's our choice which one we do. Which one we do. So it's a variable and malleable psychological catalyst. It's changing things. It's available to enhance an individual's desired outcome. So it's available. That's an important word, isn't it? I said this before. A lot of people never tap into their functional mental toughness. It's available. Maybe it's not as high as it could be if they would do some of the things that we're going to talk about. But it's available. And we don't tap into it. So that's one of the pieces there. It's available. It's not forced on you. It's not built in. It's available to enhance an individual's desired outcome beyond recent baseline performance or behavior. A variable and malleable psychological catalyst available to enhance an individual's desired outcome. It's your desired outcome. We talk a lot about intrinsic motivation here. If you're a board-certified coach, you've studied that. It's what matters to you. As a coach, I can't come to you and say, I'm going to force mental toughness on you. No, it's got to be based on your desired outcome. And then it's beyond recent baseline performance or behavior. This is big. You cannot compare your mental toughness to your coworker's mental toughness or your spouse's mental toughness or your child's mental toughness. It is an intra-related construct. Yes, it makes for great TV. Oh, yeah, As Sally's coming down the end of the Boston Marathon. She's clearly got more mental tough. Uh, we don't know that. Sally might just be fitter. Stop making it up. And again, I know the TV folks are paid for drama. But if we really want to talk about mental toughness, let's not assume we can recognize it in someone else. It's a comparison to our recent baseline performance or behavior. It allows us to be better than we were yesterday. Make sense? So let me just read it again. You've got all these pieces all put together now. It's a ve- so this is the functional mental toughness definition from 2019, one of our studies in 2019. A variable and malleable psychological catalyst available to enhance an individual's desired outcome beyond recent baseline performance and behavior. Not somebody else's their recent baseline performance behavior. All right, so let's take a little deeper dive into where this, how this developed, and then we'll go into some more specific examples of what you can do in each of those three aspects, thrive, prepare, and activate to enhance that FMT, no matter what you're pursuing. When we started, we had four studies published, and in our second one, we utilized Daniel Gucciardi's MTI, to assess if it was just me that was experiencing variability in my mental toughness or if that's just the way it works. And so we had 13 elite masters athletes who were wonderful, by the way. If you're one of the folks that helped us with this study, thank you, thank you, thank you. You were amazing. You made a lot of sacrifices for this and we really appreciate it. And what we found is there is variability. And if you're looking at the the video, you can see the graph and some of that variability that showed up there. Now, one of the things that fascinated me was a study that took place before we got started. This is one of Gucciardi's studies in 2016. And it caught my attention because as some of you know, I'm a, I've been a licensed physical therapist for, well, since 1992. So 
a really long time. And I haven't treated anybody since we started our coaching company 17 years ago, but I'm, I'm still following the research. I'm still digging into this stuff. And it was fascinating because he found the process of having consistency among patients with their home exercise programs was interestingly connected with their level of mental toughness. And that's a big deal for a therapist or a physician or anyone in healthcare. If you're looking at the screen, you can see in the video, you can see this, but if you're not, you, I can explain it to you. Basically, they looked at if you had low intention to do your home exercise program, then it didn't matter if your mental toughness was high or low or medium. You didn't do it because you weren't intending to do it. But if you had high intention, and, and actually there's one for moderate as well, but if you had high intention and you had high mental toughness, you, you were doing the exercise three times more likely that you would do the exercise with high mental toughness versus low mental toughness. Even a small change in levels of mental toughness significantly increased the likelihood that a patient would do their home exercise program. Super fascinating. The combination of that and some of our early findings in our research led to that diagram, that thrive, prepare, and activate. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk through some some practical examples for each one of those. In the Thrive side, that's, that's what we talk about all the time here on the Catalyst 360 podcast. That's move, fuel, rest, connect. That, that is the broader well-being, if you will. So let me walk you through just a few examples of that, and you can see much more here on the video, but we've got things like strategic caffeine. If you're a two-cup-a-day person, welcome to the club. But if you wanted to utilize that caffeine more effectively to boost your mental toughness, then you'd look at your week and you'd say, Thursday's that budget meeting. So I'm going to drop back to one cup Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then go two on Thursday. Now, there, there is research out there saying that the caffeine taper is not necessary to get a benefit, but you clearly get a boost if you go from and a typical cup of coffee is between 80 and 120 milligrams of caffeine. So if you go from, let's just pick the middle number, 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams, even without a taper, you're going to get a boost in that, in that response. So that would be one example. Clear vision. Knowing the person you are. You've, you've heard other podcast guests talk about this and how important that is to making decisions very easy. Well, if we're making decisions very easy, we're not, remember the leakage thing? on the bank, then we're not leaking out mental toughness on trying to make a decision when we have that clear vision. When I know who I am, when I know what my priorities are, when I know what my why is behind the steps I'm taking, then those steps become very simple to, to, to clarify and to move forward. So we, we limit the leakage through that clear vision. When we automate our activity levels, don't get up in the morning and think, well, let's see, should I go for a run this morning or should I go to the gym or maybe take today off? I don't know. Let me think. Just automate those things. Just automate those things. It is, I, I can't tell you how powerful that is. For me, if it's Sunday, Tuesday, Friday, I'm in the gym. If it's any of the other days, I'm out running. All but one of those days with our dog. So she, she likes that automation. So I don't think about it. I don't ponder it. I don't stress about it. It's Monday. I'm running with the dog. It's Saturday. I'm doing a tempo run. It's Tuesday. I'm in the gym. It's automated. It eliminates that leakage for things that you don't need to spend it on. Time in bed's another one. I've had clients I've spoken with that Say, oh yeah, I'm getting probably getting seven and a half hours of sleep. I'll say, well, you know, without my calculator, I may be off here a little bit, but you just said that you watch the news that generally ends about 10.30 and you're up at 5.30 and I'm guessing you don't transport from the second the news stops into a deep sleep. So, <laughs> like, we're not even in bed seven and a half hours, let alone sleeping seven and a half hours. So, just give yourself a chance. We can't control our sleep. I struggle with sleep. We've talked about it. We've had what, seven, eight 
amazing sleep experts on the podcast. Sleep is a difficult thing for many of us. For some of you, I'm jealous. <laughs> Your head hits the pillow, you're, you're good to go. But if you're not one of those lucky folks, you get it. We can't control some of that. But we can control the time in bed. And that improves our odds. And then that move, fuel, rest, connect piece of the thrive that boosts our mental toughness, we improve the likelihood of that rest, of that sleep. So those are a few of the things that fit into that first component of thrive. Again, we're trying to fill the bank account. That's dependent on three different things, thrive, prepare, and activate. So your baseline, these are things that you can be doing, I'm going to say all the time, but just generally in life, is that thrive piece. That's your broader approach to life. You want to improve your mental toughness, improve those elements on a regular basis, you will see an increase in your mental toughness. All right, so the second part is is the prepare piece. This is the two to four weeks leading up to whatever it is that you're pursuing. Exam, tough conversation, athletic event, presentation, you name it. What can we be doing in that two to four weeks to improve our odds of having that FMT elevated to start with and then being able to use it more when it's time. Uh, Again, I'll just give you a few examples off this visual you're seeing. The first one is callousing. This is something that you can do. It's what you, uh, if you're a runner, you get this. You go out to the track. Let's say you're training for a 10K. You go out to the track and you do 12 by 400s. At a faster pace than you'll be racing, you're callousing your body to a faster pace so that your race pace feels a little bit slower. Or a pace run where you're sustain, you're callousing your body to that pace over a longer period of time. Callousing is extremely valuable. One of the things I did when I was preparing for the race across America is I, I didn't tell the whole story before and, and I won't hear, but I, I got in a bike wreck six weeks before the race and I fractured eight bones, uh, four ribs, pelvis and clavicle and super, super fortunate in so many ways. No head injury, no spinal injury. The pelvic fractures were non-displaced. So as long as I didn't fall again, I could slowly, gradually get up on my bike. As long as I wasn't outside, the doctors made sure that I spent the rest of my training in the basement where there was no chance of falling and I could ride. So I was super, super fortunate. But the last six weeks of my training was essentially all indoors for that reason. So one of the things I did is I would stick this target, like picture a archery target. And I, I had a picture of one that I printed out and I'd stick it in front of my bike, an aero bike, think of a triathlon bike. So you're in the aero position, your arms out in front, you're down in that position. And I would just stare at that for as long as I possibly could focus on the, on the bullseye. No TV, no radio, no music, no friends talking to me, just me, the bike and the target. And yes, you're going, oh my gosh, this guy's weird. And I get that. I think that was one of the most valuable pieces of training. Again, it's the icing. It wasn't the physical training. But in terms of the additional, when it got to time for that Race Across America bike race, and so that that was callousing, preparing me for the seven days of riding 12 to 15 hours a day. That's the idea. You want to take whatever it is that you're facing and callous yourself for that. Now, let me give you a... I hope slightly humorous example, but one that's probably very applicable. And that's working with difficult people. I, I know your, your place of business, you probably don't have any difficult people, but <laughs> you're alone uh, or, or you. Uh, but that's one of the things we can do with mental toughness when it comes to working with difficult people is to see other folks that maybe aren't your favorite coworkers as an opportunity to callous. So instead of avoiding those folks, you engage with them. And instead of being irritated by them, you see that as, and we're going to talk about challenge threat here in a second, but a challenge to come alongside them, to build a bond, to really listen. And the cool thing here, and this isn't FMT related, although it might be a little bit, is you 
probably end up creating a pretty powerful relationship there in the process of callousing. Just as I did in the arrow position, arrow is not a comfortable position when you first start doing it. I was so comfortable. I had no back issues or saddle sore issues or, you know, shoulder problems or anything else because of that callousing. And you can have the same thing happen in these relationships by callousing in small increments. (laughs) Maybe, maybe you can only handle that person for a little bit of time, but you'll be amazed. And you can do that in any aspect of your life where you're trying to develop that functional mental toughness. So, so that's the callousing piece. Let's jump down to challenge threat. Since I mentioned that we had Carla Mann and uh, Noel Brick are two different guests that we had on the Cattle's 360 podcast. And both of them studied this challenge threat com- uh, concept. And it's really interesting to me because essentially what it is, is if you and I are exactly the same in every single way, history, background, physical attributes, training, support systems, you name it. But I see a, a situation as a threat and you see it as a challenge, guess who performs better? Yeah, you're going to crush me every time. They, they, and they've, they found it's not just a, a mental mindset. They can measure this physiologically. It, it's fascinating. The, the heart, when you see something as a challenge, your heart is actually more effective in the way that it beats. Your blood vessels actually extend just a little bit to allow a little bit more blood to move through when you see it as a challenge versus a threat. So that may be part of this callousing piece. That's something you can practice seeing those difficult situations as a challenge, not as a threat. And you'll get some benefits from that. Goal setting. We've talked about that endlessly on here. I'm not going to spend time on that. Having a clear why. That's partially what we talked about in the, the Thrive piece. It definitely is something you can continue to prepare with. And then the visualization or even role-playing is another way that you can prepare as you lead up to that time. So those are some of the things that might be worth looking at as you move through the prepare phase of this. And by the way, I want to give a shout out to my supervising professors because they were the greatest supervising professors in the history of PhD students, Mark Wilson and Martin Jones. Just, I'm so so grateful for the two of them. If you know them, if you cross paths with them, please give them a high five, pat them on the back, give them a hug for me because those two guys, they, they were amazing. And I don't know if I would have gotten through it without them. So just a little shout out to the two of them. Our third element of the FMT model is the activate. So we have thrive. That's kind of broader life. There's prepare. That's the two to six weeks prior And then there's the activate. So now you're in that moment. You're at the starting line. You're about to sit down and take that final exam. Your teenage daughter has just walked into the room and you need to have a tough conversation. You're laying the budget out in front of the executive committee. Whatever your thing is, it's it's happening. Is there anything we can do now? And, And by the way, that's one of the other things I love about this model is even if you miss out on one of the three, thrive, prepare, and activate, you can benefit from one or two of the others. If if you completely space out the activate piece, but you've been thriving, you've been aware of your move, fuel, rest, connect, you did some preparation, you did some callousing, you worked through challenge threat, and then you space out these things completely on the activate day, you're still ahead. You still got some icing. Maybe not as much as you could have, but you still got some icing. So that's, that's one of the nice things here. So if you come into this and you say, oh, I haven't been doing any of that thriving stuff, or maybe you're hearing this podcast because you've got an event tomorrow or an activity tomorrow or something you're facing tomorrow. And you're thinking, Brad, like I need it now. I, 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 I don't need it in six weeks. I don't need it in four months. I need it now. Is there anything I can do or is it too late? No, it's not too late. That's what I love about this. The activate is available in the moment, in the moments leading up to and in the midst of it, even if we miss Thrive and we forget about or weren't aware of at the time the prepare element. So let's talk about some of the things you can do in that activate phase. All right, so in the activate phase, we basically broke it down into three categories. There's mind, body, and soul. 
just to make it easy to remember these things. So under mind, we have self-talk, a couple different aspects of it, the process focus, segmenting, music, and future self. So let me hit a few of those. Self-talk. Let, let me describe that first, because that's that one of our studies, and, and again, so grateful to the three women that were involved in our self-talk study. They came out to the track 15 times over a three-month period and ran an 800 as hard as they could, and we did some different things, and I am so grateful to them. They were amazing. They did a great job. They were consistent. They didn't miss, and that was a big ask. And so you know who you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you again for that. In that study, we found some really valuable outcomes when it came to self-talk. Now, as a baseline, caffeine, we talked about earlier, the value of caffeine. Caffeine improves performance 2.3% on average. These three women showed an improvement after the washout period. So you always get faster if you run a bunch of 800s. But we waited until they plateaued, and then we added self-talk. So in addition to the improvement they showed simply by practicing, just by doing an 800 week after week after week, once that plateaued to where they'd hit kind of their, their baseline, then we added self-talk, and they saw, on average, a 9% improvement with the self-talk than they had before it. So caffeine, 2.3%, the, the most powerful legal stimulant available, self-talk, 9%. Kind of fascinating. Now, you don't extrapolate that too far. Don't go on the Huberman podcast and say, oh, we can do this for everything. You can improve your income and your... Just go with this, right? 9% with this small sample size that we had. Still super interesting. So talking about this this component of self-talk. Let me, let me describe it first so you know what to do with this. There are two different types of self-talk. There's instructional self-talk. It's just what it sounds like. You, it's almost like you're a coach on your shoulder. So if you're out there running a, a 400-meter track session, your instructional self-talk might be something like, relax your shoulders, drive with your arms, relax your jaw. So that's inst- you're giving yourself instructions. It's, it's to yourself, It's not somebody yelling it to you, it's you, but it's instructional in nature. The second type is motivational self-talk, just what it sounds like. Come on, Coop, you got this. Come on, we can do this. And by the way, if you're an Alex Hudgenson fan, he's a guest we've had a couple of times on the podcast, one of my favorite writers, and he he writes for Outside Magazine, and he recently highlighted a study showing that the difference between you've got this, again, this is self-talk, you got this, Brad. Come on, Coop. You can do this. And I've got this. Okay, I got this. I know I can do this. That the you got this, almost like it's an external cheerleader, external encourager, creates better results than the I've got this. So file that away if you'd like. So associative and dissociative is your second breakdown. Associative is where you're going deeper into where you are. So you want to be very focused on where, where you're standing, where your feet are, whatever it is you're doing. Dissociative is, is where you're kind of, I need, to, I need to mentally get out of here. And you can use self-talk for either one of those. You can use it for distractions or you can use it to focus in more on the present moment, what you're doing, what you're focused on, et cetera. So keep that in your mind as you're thinking through which one do I want to use and try different things. Different aspects of self-talk work better for different people. So play with those things. So under associative, where you're going more into the situation, there's instructional or motivational. And then dissociative self-talk is where you're distracting yourself. One of the things that I would do when I was doing Hawaii Ironman is the bike is, it's 112 miles and you're, it's five hours is a, a pretty good time for an amateur. So you're out there for five plus hours. And I would break that into, and that's one of our other things called segmenting that falls under this. So I would break that into segments. So the first 20 miles, I would think about Susanna. We've been married 30 plus years. I would think about a lot of good times, pray for her life, our future. Next 20 miles, 
our daughter Ashley. Next 20 miles, our daughter Danielle. Next 20 miles, our son Josh. So I, I would, that was a distraction for me. And it would also be this thing called segmenting, which is where you break things into segments. So if you're running that 400 meters, you're not thinking about, oh, I got to get to the finish. You're thinking, get to the turn. All right, now let's get this straight away. All right, make the turn. Okay, bring it home. Do you, do you, do you see the difference? You're breaking that into four, five, six sections within a single lap of the track. Music. Not allowed if you're a professional, but if you're an amateur, it is allowed in not triathlons, but certainly running races. It can be used in the gym, it can be used in all these different settings. Uh, that's dissociative. So make sure that works for you. Maybe you're one of those folks that you need to really focus in. So that's not a good strategy for you. But for others, it's a nice dissociating strategy. And then just a little, and I have no research around this except an in of one, me, that I've been trying this with. But you might want to try this. If it's a longer event, let's say half marathon, 10K, something like that, and you're allowed to use music, instead of just having the music the whole time, you get used to it and it stops making a difference. So if you're listening to music for half marathon and you're out there for an hour and 20 minutes or two hours or whatever your time is, once you're 40, 45 minutes in, maybe 12 minutes in, you don't even notice it's there hardly. One of the strategies I've been playing with on that is go on off. I won't use any music the first two miles. Part of that is safety. You're usually in a big pack early on, and then it's out to where it's just me and two other people or something. And so it's, it's safe to not have music at the beginning. It's just smart to do that. But also, you don't really need it. Like, you're pretty dialed in when you get started with that. So let's let the music go. And then two miles in, and I'm using a half marathon as an example here, I'll, I'll turn it on for one mile and I'll turn it off and I'll use self-talk. So from mile two to three, music. From mile three to four, self-talk. Four to five, music, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'll usually kind of turn it off in those middle miles, kind of six, seven, eight, pop it on for a couple, take a little break at 11, and then I need it at the end. So whatever your strategy is, you may want to play with that. I do not have a research study for that. I don't think it's been studied. If you're a PhD student or a master's student, you're thinking about something, I think you could find a pretty cool result with that. And then the last one is future self. And I, I think this is one of the positives of social media. When utilized the right way, if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to post my race time or whatever. It might push you through a difficult period. Or simply having a connection with somebody else. Our son and I both run quite a bit and we would often trade updates. You know, so I go out to the track and I'd be doing, I don't know, let's say a 10 by 400 and I'd really be struggling around five or six. I knew I was going to send my results to Josh and say, hey buddy, here's what I did today. And I got a lot of room for growth as a dad, but I love being a dad and I try to be a good dad. And I want to set that example. And so I didn't want to text him and say, yeah, I just kind of wasn't feeling it. So I pulled the plug at five, you know, no injury. I just, I kind of wimped out. No, because my future self, I knew when that workout was over, I wanted to be able to say to him, I was really struggling at uh, interval number five and six, but I pushed through it. I was a little bit slower. And then I really picked up seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, that kind of thing. So that's where future self can be a powerful way in the moment to boost that activation piece. I'm going to quickly go through the body and soul, and then we'll tie a ribbon on this. The, the body side, smiling. If you saw the Kipchoge Netflix documentary about the two-hour marathon, you saw the greatest endurance runner in the history of the world smiling while running 436 per mile at mile 24. It makes a difference. Posture makes a difference. The body follows the head. If you slump your head down physically, your body will follow. If you let your head start to slump mentally, your body will follow. Know that going in. Your body will follow your head. Guide it. And then finally, Smile 2.0. This is another in of one. This is Chrissy Wellington, multiple-time Ironman world champion, amazing woman out of the UK. We interviewed her early on in the podcast. I asked her about this. 
because smiling was then in the research that it helped your performance. And so I asked Chrissy, Chrissy, you were doing this before the research was out on the smiling piece. Did you, had you talked to some researchers about this? And she just laughed. She said, oh, Brad, no. She said, Ironman is a, an amazing sport. It's been an amazing career for me, but we don't get a lot of fans out there. And so when people are out there at the race and they're cheering me on, I just want to smile back. Just give them a little something. And she said this weird thing would happen. I'd smile to them or I'd smile at them as they were cheering and they smile back. And I get this little boost. That's smiling 2.0. You're doing something for someone else's sake and you get a rebound effect. And then finally in the soul piece, there's hope and there's tapping into your support. We found the connection with the people closest to you did have an impact on that FMT. That's our model. I'm going to walk you through an example using a 10K race just to kind of pull this together so maybe you can grab a couple more application pieces. But we've got the FMT bank in the middle, and then we've got thrive, prepare, and activate. Now, how can we, how can we kind of tie all this together? Uh, like I said, I'm going to walk you through a typical 10K race for an amateur, and then I'll walk you through an FMT approach to the same 10K race. And hopefully you can see the difference. And you can apply whatever it is you were thinking of for your life. Maybe you can think, okay, I, I could do, it's not a 10K, it's a budget meeting, or it's, it's a presentation, or it's a discussion, or it's an exam. But how could I pull in some of the stuff Brad talked about for the 10K into this thing that I'm pursuing? So traditional approach, you, you, you focus on training, make the cake. And what am I going to eat or drink the morning of the race? And if it's a long enough race, maybe during the race. And then race day, we have our plan pace. I'm going to go out at six minute miles. I'm going to hold that. I'm going to try to pick it up back half, that kind of thing. And then you get to the last hundred yards and it's just go finishing sprint. So that's, that's the typical way. The FMT approach under the thrive, you would do basically the same thing. You got to make the cake, put the training in, but we're going to boost the focus on sleep. We're going to tune into key relationships during that time. Make sure those are healthy. Those are, are, are building each other up. And then tuning into other stressors, not just the physical stressors, but what else can I be aware of in terms of my overall thriving that will influence my race day mental toughness? Under the prepare section, First one, absolute clarity about the why. Not just, I'm going to run it, but why this race, on this day, at this pace, in this place, et cetera, et cetera. So super, super clear vision. Have a clear stretch goal to drive your daily training. So I'm going to run a sub 40, sub 35, whatever it is that you're shooting for. But when it comes to the actual day, and this is under the activate phase, we drop into the process focus. So we let those goals go so that we can emphasize the challenge and not the threat. Be careful about our training partner selection. Make sure that fits with us. When it's windy, when we're hitting hills, we have tired legs, see that as callousing, not a negative. See that as a challenge, not a threat. And then the final 24 hours, no thinking. I don't want you thinking about, well, what shoes am I going to wear? What's the temperature going to be? Where are we going to park? What time should we leave? Is it going to be crowded? None, none of that. Everything the last 24 hours and certainly the last 12 hours is on complete autopilot. So you're saving every drip of mental toughness to use when you actually need it at mile whatever of your race. And then the last thing under the prepare is, is practice self-talk. What's working for you? Are you going more the motivational, more instructional, more associative, more dissociative? Which one works best for you? Try it in your difficult, your challenging workouts and see which ones work best. And then on race day, under the activate phase, be true to yourself in the hour prior to the race. If you like time to yourself, don't be drawn in. Oh, I should talk to people. Oh, I should be social. Be social after the race. Before the race, be you. And by the same token, if you're social, be social. 
Don't feel like, oh, I'm supposed to listen to music, pump up music over by myself under a tree before the race. No, be you. Carry out the self-talk plan as you practiced it. Smile and smile 2.0. And then the process piece I mentioned earlier, run in your shoes right here, right now. Don't let the threat piece of those goals you set that may or may not have been appropriate based on the weather, competition, everything else, kick you into a threat phase and actually end up slowing you down. So that's our FMT roadmap. We've got the bank in the middle, fill it up, limit the leakage. When you need it, be able to activate it, be able to access it. And then the pieces around it, the three elements that feed into that, thrive, prepare, and activate. You can apply that to any aspect of life. Not the cake, but it'll give you that extra icing. I hope that was helpful. Hope you got something out of that you can apply to what you're doing. I love to hear stories, so reach out anytime. I read all the emails we get, and I really appreciate you spending a few minutes of your week with us here. Next week is our 300th episode, and we have an incredibly special guest. You're not going to want to miss that one. Two reminders. If you're an employer, EAP, wellness provider, and you're looking for a way to integrate nationally board certified health, wellness, and performance, we do integrate this FMT model into our coaching. If you want to integrate that into the services you're offering your clients, your employees, trying to support their mental well-being, physical well-being, reach out to us. Love to talk to you. Results at CatalystCoaching360.com or you can pick the website CatalystCoaching360.com. And if you're one of those folks that's thinking, I would like to get certified as a coach. I keep hearing about this. I want to learn more at least. Maybe it's not for me, but I want to learn more. Reach out to us. Results at CatalystCoaching360.com. We can set up a time to visit. Or if you want to check it out before you talk to somebody, you can go to our institute site, CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. And with that, this is Dr. Brad Cooper of Catalyst Coaching 360. It's time to be a catalyst. And I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst 360 podcast, or maybe over on the YouTube coaching channel.